G'day and welcome to the Projects Podcast. This is the podcast full of wonderful people who co-work at The Projects, which is a wonderful space in central Brighton. It's based on Ship Street, so whenever you're around, please check us out. Hello, Alex. Hi, Jess. How's your day? It's going well, thank you. Is that because it's right at the beginning of the day and nothing's happened yet? Oh, a lot has happened this morning, actually. What's happened? Um, I had a nice run, I've come in, I've set up for some meetings, I picked something up from the shops because we're having a coffee morning later, so I thought it'd be nice to have some biscuits with our coffees. Mm. Yeah, been busy. Lots going on. <laughs> yeah. Lots going on. So, uh, to, is there anything exciting going on at the projects generally at the moment? What, what sort of things and what's the news? Well, we are having a really interesting meeting today, which is a follow-up from our Brand Brighton launch event. Oh, exciting. Yeah, so we're getting together with all of the facilitators from the event to talk about our next steps. Facilitators. Yeah, and then we'll be coming up with a series of events and workshops to help support people, um, all under the name Brand Brighton. And the idea is to make people really proud to be in Brighton. Um, proud of their businesses, make them feel able to stretch further with their business, reach international uh, audiences. Um, so yeah, it's a really exciting project. Now that's quite a big deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be devil's advocate because I like being that. I kind of think, well, how are we going to get there? What's going to happen? Is this just not an ex- just a kind of I don't know thing, a kind of pie in the sky thing? That's exactly what we don't want it to be. So it's going to take a lot of work. And the main thing is that we need to work together. Um, So we need to get the big businesses in Brighton who are already selling their products and services internationally to help back us. We need to get away from people using London addresses um, for their businesses, even when they're based in Brighton, which is a thing which happens so regularly. We need to work on retaining talent in Brighton so people aren't having to take the train to London to go to work every day. We need to work better with our universities to employ international students and um, stop the brain drain in Brighton. Um, so there's a lot to be done. And Do you, you think that's still happening then? Do you still, still think that people are actually using central addresses? Isn't that very 1993? <laughs> Are they doing that? They, really they doing totally that are. It's really sad. How ridiculous. It came up a lot at our launch event. People were saying the really amazing Brighton businesses aren't even proud to be from Brighton. They're using London addresses. Extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Maybe because they started earlier and they haven't, haven't sussed out that the world's changed. Yeah. Uh, or just called, sorted out their admin a bit. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Well, I hope that all changes, I've got yeah. to say. Because yeah. I'm not sure if the world really really thinks anymore that it matters where you say you're from uh, except that of course in Brighton the whole point is that there is a culture uh, it is great to belong somewhere and it's great to send out signals for that so if you say I'm from Brighton as opposed to saying I'm from you know uh, one Acacia Square Brighton I deliberately used that because it doesn't exist um, <laughs> then I suppose that's a cool thing, isn't it? If you say you're generally from somewhere, as opposed to specifically... So I think that's, that's the trouble, isn't it? That once upon a time... Because I remember doing this. Yeah. You know, you used to be able to get registered addresses at uh, serviced offices, the yeah. precursors to beautiful places can. like this. still can. 
And it's kind of rather absurd, really. If you're not from there, don't do it. It's not very authentic and it's a bit silly, no? I, I totally agree, but unfortunately it's still happening. And I think people are worried that if they say they're based in Brighton, people are going to think they have a very laid-back approach, um, that maybe their services aren't as good as that of people and agencies in London. Uh, so there, a lot of problems come as a result of this. So people aren't being able to charge enough for their service if, if they say they're from Brighton. Um, they feel like they need to compete with other Brighton businesses and undercut each other. So these are all things that we're exploring um, under the name of Brand Brighton and looking to improve. What do you know about Matthew Bowling? He is a coach for coaches and he helps people be accountable and become a better coach and he runs meetups. He's rather marvellous. Uh, he did work at the university uh, doing IT stuff. Uh, he learned quite a lot about that. And then he did his psychology degree. Mm. Yes. Uh, so that he could bring the love. Because uh, I think that's his thing. Bringing the love. Bringing the love and the IT. Combining them to uh, uh, kind of bring people to a, a better sense of something. And he, believe it or not, is the next guest on the Project's podcast. My name is Matthew Burringer. I run uh, a company called Meaningbit and another community that's also emerged in the last few months called People Developing People. People Developing People is all about helping, hel helping, helping professionals uh, spread their, uh, grow their business and reach sustainability. So I'm all about being able to line up the kind of inner world and your intrinsic needs. Some people would even say your, your spiritual work and, and how that manifests through the work that you do with the material world and the practicalities and the making sure that you can make a living doing it, making sure that it's online, turning it into products and all of that. So really, yeah, what I do is I help people align those two things. When I started, things were, we were still talking about th things like oh, well, if I'm going to work in technology, uh, in, in terms of computer technology, it's probably going to be as a systems analyst. Um, and there weren't that many of those. Um, but in your case, everything had kind of gone bang and everybody thought that they could get involved. What would your take on that in terms of what you actually felt you could do to contribute? So, I mean, everything kind of went bang whilst I was studying. I started studying in 1998. Um, so it, was, it wasn't that these careers actually really existed, and certainly you couldn't study them at degree level. No. When I, when I, when I first went to university, you could study computer science and learn to program in an early version of Java, um, but that was about it. Um, and the funny thing was, I mean, I'd used a computer since I was about six years old. I'd always been kind of comfortable with computers and comfortable with kind of remember programming stuff in basic you know and all of that stuff and and so it had always been something that was kind of ubiquitous to me and it always made sense but the the networking element the internet element was really you know it, it's very easy to forget when we have so many mature applications now that we were talking about you know a handful of just a handful of websites no google um, so you had Yahoo and AltaVista, um, you know, um, and just a handful of different applications, lots of real-time chat applications, a few web forums, 
um, very little in the way of mature anything. Mm. And it was it was very much the Wild West. It was actually very... It was a bit of a niche thing. Some businesses were on there. And a lot of businesses were, were like, I, that's never going to, you know, it's just a fad. Including we don't need to banks. be on the internet. They would prefer to send tapes to the other side of the world than, God forbid, get those horrible IT people to develop something that happens to be on an internet of some sort. Yeah, and I, I realised that, that there, was, there was some interest there, really for me, um, more than anything else. Uh, I wasn't thinking in my early 20s that much in terms of kind of impact. And, and I was thinking, well, what do I do that's interesting, that's mm. exciting? Mm. And so the most interesting thing for me was to work with as many computers as possible and work with different people. And actually, I mean, I actually started, I say that, I started doing assistive training was one of the things I did. So yeah. people who um, had disabilities and I started them getting to use computers and kind of getting the message out there and trying to get as many people as possible using these new tools as possible. Because it was a, it was a, it's a really big thing. I mean, one of the reasons that I've used a computer for so long is because is I'm dyslexic. I write pretty, like my handwriting is, I can read it. Other people can read it, but it's not pretty. And it's mm. not efficient. And that's why I, I kind of, I started to use the computer and I use all of the tools around that just to structure stuff for me. So I'm not kind of, so it's out of my head and I'm, I'm not trying to do it myself. And so I saw the value of these tools as a way of helping people who are, you know, who who have a specific difficulty being able to then reach out and do a whole load more and not have that problem. So that's, that's where the assistive training came in. And then uh, I, I know that you, you were sort of involved in developing uh, sort of network apps. I started a business uh, running a LAN gaming company. So I was running all the servers, all the back end. Um, and if you think about how what that involved was this was pre pre ubiquitous broadband mm. so most people play games on dial up so if you actually got people into a network into a local situation the gaming experience was was lots better and it's much more social as mm. well i did some early research which got a little bit of um traction in the press on the social aspect of gaming cool um and that it turns out that the the impression of a kind of nerd with you know sat behind their computer screen and not wanting social interaction was was pretty wrong and was changing very rapidly yes because you had the internet and the internet was enabling this huge rise in socially in, in gaming in a social context and against with with and get against and with other people yeah so that was a a really big thing and so yeah and that's what the company was about and this was sort of 2003, 2004, yeah. that sort of area. From your point of view, because I know this stage you kind of, you, you went to work for University of Sussex, is that right? So I worked for Brighton Housing Trust oh. for a while, cool. um, helping them with their IT infrastructure um, around and about various sites in Brighton. And then, yeah, after about 18 months working there, I moved to Sussex, to the informatics department. Yeah, so I was supporting a lot of really interesting research. I worked in 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 that academic you know, within an academic department providing support for various different projects which was which was really fascinating um, there were I remember working on basically cramming a server box full of graphics cards at the time because CUDA had just come out so this yeah. the, the ability yeah. to do 
computation on graphics cards was this brand new thing and NVIDIA were trying to get as many of them in the hands of academics as possible to prove that it was a thing. So we built this huge box. They, 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 so they, get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They, wanted to, they wanted to give it some validity in industry yeah. and the, best, the most obvious way for them to do that was to give it to academia. Mm. So they were doing that. And so what we did was we built this, you know, this must have been about three feet tall the thing that was like a space heater, it roared. It was just full of graphics cards and um, a huge power supply. Um, but what it did was it let the uh, the academic simulate the visual system or a partial, portion of the visual system of a frog in real time. Ah, that's interesting. So it was the first time that they had like a desktop real-time neural simulation, which was really, really... Fascinating. That's very exciting. Really, really exciting. So I guess work. it's well, not early doors because it's been around forever, but um, I guess it's kind of form of machine learning, yeah. Because you're you're kind of trying to you're trying to find out. You're well, trying it, to work with the concepts. It it wasn't machine predicting. learning in the sense of um, it wasn't a learning model. So it wasn't a model that right. changed in response to the environment. But what it was was they could throw it different stimuli and then validate the behavior of their model so it's more predictive so they, they kind of realize that this is probably what's going to happen so we're going to well it's a, so we know what happens with a real frog yeah is our model of this valid if we throw the same stimulus at the this model and then what happens? so it's kind of similar but not the same yeah it's not, it wasn't a learning, learning algorithm no, it no. wasn't doing it it wasn't developing
got the coaching business. I mean, what, what do you call it? What, 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 some people call it coaching, development. What, what, so, what, what uh, I do business development, but yeah. I do business development from purpose. And now we've got this meetup, this movement, whatever yeah. you want to call it, which is um, much more about developing things through the group. Is that right? So one of the really important groups of people that I want to work with or that I, that I do work with that I really want to empower is people who do personal development work mm. because what I noticed was actually in organizations the challenge was that people were playing out their own patterns their own trauma their own experiences their own their own um, well uh, their own say uh, no longer useful coping mechanisms because everyone learns coping mechanisms for a reason and they're fine but you can overuse them you kind of become dependent on them and people were still playing those out and that was the reason that a lot of stuff was going wrong collectively in organizations because I got really interested in management and leadership and how you do all that Um, and I realized that was what was underpinning almost all of it and I was and I thought and reflect and can I do this myself do I want to help people with this myself and whilst it would be valid to retrain and try and do that focus actually what I realized was with my experience and the skills I've had the most effective thing for me to do would be to empower other people to do this work so that's what the community is about it's about helping people who can help other people transform grow and thrive do that themselves and really empower themselves to to grow and and to meet those material needs and and do that at the same time as meeting their purposeful needs. And so what I want to do is get the techniques for meeting your inner needs and being at ease and being comfortable with yourself flowing in one direction into the workplace. And then the kind of concrete fixity and the material stuff flowing in the other direction so that both are aligned and working collectively. What I'm doing first of all is doing this work with people and individually uh, and building up that practice so that I've got all the skills necessary for uh, and I know what's necessary for people who do personal development work to successfully be able to work in a kind of marketplace. If you look at the existing kind of if you look at like a directory of therapists and coaches they never they never succeed because people aren't led through how you present this work. Very often people don't really know what their work is. They just do it. Mm. It's it's part of them. It's, yeah. it's you know, they're almost just paid to be them in a room for an hour. Yeah. And that's wonderful but limiting. Yeah. So the question then becomes, well, how can you explain to others who haven't met you in person or met one of the people that you've worked with what you do and what the benefit is? Mm. Because then you can participate in a marketplace where you can help people find the right help and you can really reach the right people who really need the help that you offer. So that's the long-term goal, is to build this into a platform. In the short term, it's about creating a community of people who are doing this work such that we can all support each other, I can provide services to them, and we can kind of grow this as a movement. How do you think it's going to, to build successfully as an actual concern for you, a successful concern for you? There's two ideas to unpick here. The first one is that when you're talking about financial services, you're talking about a commodity. Mm. So as long as all of the, you know, one insurance 
group, you know, one insurance company is quite a lot like another insurance yes. company. My intrinsic need to be insured doesn't significantly differ whether I go with company A or company B. No. It's no. a commodity. Yeah. When you're talking about interpersonal services, mm -hmm. coaching, therapy and everything, mm -hmm. there's a degree of chemistry, of match, that I'm doesn't exist. I'm yeah. And capturing that in a commercial sense hasn't really been successful yet. And I think one of the large barriers to that and I suspect the large barriers to successfully using a dating site, because if you talk to a lot of people who have, have used online dating, some of them find it great and some of them have found it not to meet their needs at all. Mm. And my intuition is that the people who found it really successful are the people who actually know how to meet their needs and what their needs are. Yeah. If you put up a dating profile and you don't know what your needs are, you don't know what you're no, asking for, you and you don't know what your value is, yeah, yeah. you're going to fail. Yeah, you're not going to find the right people. No. So it's really so it's that problem taken into a business context. What's your value? Who are you? Who you know? Who who are you likely to resonate with? And then when you're describing your problem, what really is what what really is the issue? And are you helping people in the, for this to work? Are you ensuring that? prior to them using the platform they understand their value so this is why I'm doing so the, in terms of the value stuff that's why I'm doing the business development with people who are doing personal so development so kind work. of almost to prep to groom to prep everybody so I, so I can have a set of skills so I can know what works because yeah. I'm a huge believer in you know you take stuff online but take stuff online that you know works offline. Yeah. Your use technology is great at automation. So, but to automate, you have to know what the process is first. Well, thank you. That was fascinating. So, great. thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. You said you tell me about a secret. You're wondering if I could keep it to myself. I just want to keep this frequent. Watch me breathing. I've got you covered when you're freezing. I've got you staring at the ceiling. You cover your toes. Yeah, everything is for a reason. Maybe we can take it easy, darling. You hit me so fast. I don't wanna rush through. But I just wanna move with you. Yeah, I just wanna move with you. You know I wouldn't survive. I never wanna.
Video Viking. The Video Viking. Do you want to know something interesting about Eric? Yes, please. He used to be my babysitter. He used to be your babysitter. Mm. There's a song in there somewhere. Did you know that? I think I did. Yeah, I do tell everybody. I behave like a coy person okay. and say, no, that's amazing. That's a surprise. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's he used a great to be story. your baby. You haven't got a baby. No, he was my babysitter when we both lived in Cambridge, so it's not even, it's not even like we met in Brighton. He Bison. was your baby, but he's like a baby. So, I mean, he it's must be... a big be a, baby. Goodness and me. And I was a little baby. Wow. Yeah. So, what, he was about four and you were about two? So, he used a to kind of... Go, they that. just kind of left him there and he sort of pretended to babysit. Sort sure. of played at babysitting. Sure, How yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. That's amazing. So, how come you... Did you kind of just hook up with him when you got here or did you... I invited him. I invited him to come because <sighs> I knew what he was doing and I thought, I know he would like this space. Eric the... Video the video Viking. Viking, yeah, and here he is. I guess a good place to start is, what is your ideal gig? The ideal gig is a large national project where a resource is provided, either in the sense of e-learning or in the sense of something that's just publicly accessible, that specifically helps a targeted um, area of individuals that don't necessarily have the help and awareness that they need at the moment. So that would work theoretically with a charity that a charity that's maybe their target is that specific minority that need help. Um, a production company like mine, which um, provides the content and the assets to create the essential the final product, and then maybe uh, a larger company that can invest towards it as well and that can help with marketing so uh, some, someone like Propellinet for example who could help spread it so we provide the assets the charity has the target audience the target market market and the uh, normal business funds the marketing that's the kind of 
And that's what we're working on a project like that at the moment. Cool. With Propellernet and Little Green Pig. Do you know them? I've never, I've ne I've not heard of Little Green Pig. Yeah, so Little Green Pig, they're a local charity, uh -huh. um, but they run off the same model that a lot of charities have, and it's, a, it's all based around creative writing for young children. Right. And it's about bringing creativity into the classroom and essentially <laughs> through clever creative ways and they have they have some big writers who come on board and offer their time and resources so the plat they have a project called amplified yeah that they are, the only thing is i can't really talk about this on the i understand thing, but but i'm just giving you an idea yeah so the so the idea is they got in touch with us and said we need some video however our budget is small and we went right okay don't worry about that because of the position we're in, where we're a non-profit and we can apply for funding because of our business status, um, you are also a charity that can do that. So between us and then Propellernet, who are willing to help pro bono uh, with the marketing, because it's their, that's their community input kind of thing. Mm. Um, so between us, we're turning this local project called Amplified, where these children are trained by professionals into having a voice and being able to deliver a speech or something on a stage at Brighton Festival. Mm -hmm. So that's all been organised already. So the idea was that between Propellernet and Witness Media, we're coming up with a strategy to turn that into something that's deliverable to the nation as a piece of e-learning for classrooms, for teachers and for students so that they know how they can work with children that don't have a voice in the classroom to help them gain a voice, basically. But I think, I guess if you come down to the day-to-day -day stuff, the idea is that we provide video content and social media video content for charities and community groups that can't afford it, um, but that's funded through the profits from our paying clients. For example... Oh, I see. For example, so for example a client pays eight grand for their video content, professional video content, like they would to any other video agency, get, you know, standard rate. Um, but instead of those profits going into our business, they go back into the communities that we work with in Brighton. And that is effectively defines your not-for-profit status, yeah, is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but presumably all costs get covered and all that kind of stuff and wages and what have yeah, you. Yeah. That all comes first, and then the profits from that, which there always will be, um, then essentially pay for us or parts of the or the projects or whatever you know. Pro yeah. It's essentially paying. Uh, it's essentially allowing us to be able to do work that we wouldn't have been able to do before because of time and yeah. costs and commitment. Yeah, cool. So that's the idea behind it. That's cool. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, so. The non-profitable bit, as it were, the non-fee-earning bit, is the bit that you're almost kind of compelled towards. Yeah, and I think what's good about it is clients who are paying like the idea that actually what they're doing is they're directly funding another project locally. So not only do they get the same quality video that they would have got anyway from another video agency, but actually they're... You mean better quality? Better, better quality, yes. Better I mean, better quality than any other video agency. Present company accepts it, obviously. <laughs> I'm not sure it depends. We may not be delving in the same pool as a big yeah, Well, exactly, yeah. It might, it's probably different, isn't it? Yeah. So we, I mean, we tend to, you know, we're like, we have a... I, I, I can't remember what your, what your knowledge of cameras is, but we, 
we have an Ari Alexa. Yeah. Which, yeah. So we we do. I mean, I would say we do very high end stuff. Um, which is why we have a cinematic camera, hmm. and um, which means we're able, we're all, which already puts us in a league that's very different to your average video agency in Brighton. Mm-hmm. So we can range from social media posts, which don't need that high quality, all the way to cinema features. You know, so hmm. it's that kind of range, which is really useful because it doesn't limit us. So that we're quite fortunate in that sense. Um, and we're fortunate because three of us already owned the camera uh, joint way, so yeah. that it hasn't cost us anything. We already have it, so yes. it's we've got a good starting point for the business, basically. Because I come from a, I guess, technical background. Uh, in other words, I started in software, so yeah. for me, technology is it, it, one has to keep a bird's eye view of everything <laughs> always. Yeah. And sometimes that means you can miss certain things. I mean, like, for example, the importance of a particular social media channel. Um, It's easy to format stuff. What's not quite so easy is, uh, if you like, being a videographer, I mean that in the sense of cinematography, for that particular channel. Um, So, for example, whether or not it's... I haven't seen the stats, but whether or not it's going to be or is a particularly massive and influential channel, um, Instagram TV, everything's what the Americans call vertical. Uh, I prefer to call it portrait. But it's like... <laughs> but, you I, mean, know, I call it's, it portrait. It's vertical. Uh, and the thing about vertical is, of course, uh, if you're just a person standing in front of the camera, that's fine. It's just like it always was. Um, you don't have to be educated to turn your phone the other way. Um, you just keep it as it is. Yeah. But if you're a videographer and you're actually going out into um, wherever it is, into your landscape or whatever your chosen stage is for the day, then that means something completely different. Particularly if you're doing something like covering a conference, yeah, totally. um, you have a panel. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, okay. How many how many devices will we have? Uh, how many actual cameras will we have? Will we have like mm. one, and then we'll just use phones. I mean, you know that kind of stuff. It it's an interesting. It's quite compelling in a way, isn't it? Where you have these these particular channels, and then of course there's the cultural thing. So. How much do you conform with the way that Insta is done by squillions of uh, wannabes? Um, sorry, I'm being cynical, but it's <laughs> true. There's huge way, there's huge influence in the way you actually do something on a channel, um, whether it's Insta or Snap. Obviously, Snapchat um, is your classic example because really, it's, it, it was a thing devised for a culture yeah. that in, at the time didn't exist and they just created itself yeah. and then it was just um, iterated again and again and again and again, again so how does that happen but of course these things are transient of course they come and go yeah. of course something else will happen um, I'm interested in how can you as a creator yes keep it universal so that you're you can be saying well actually do you know what the content was impactful let's say you're going in, you're doing this sort of thing, let's say 10 years time, and you're going, well, if I look back 10, 15 years at what I was doing, it's not that different. And that, I think, is the wise bit. I could be wrong. I think you're right there, Jess, because I think at the end of the day, the, the actual content is crucial. Putting aside 
aspect ratios, technical scenarios, different technical scenarios. At the end of the day, if your content is good, whether that's humour, whether it's getting the facts upon you, whatever your, you know, I mean, it varies depending on what the business is or market is. But, you know, if you have the content right, then I think it's a, you're on to a winner, basically. And I think that's the important thing. So when you, when you mention things like conferences and, or you have a panel of people, you know, at the end of the day, the, the technical side doesn't matter. All it is is that's just a that's just a checklist on a box for our producer to go. Oh, we need a, someone to do this instead of that. You know, it really makes no difference mm. as long as there's still a direction, a creative vision there, and that's being implemented. Then I think you it almost yeah, like I say, it doesn't matter. So whatever platform comes along, whatever goes away, and whatever comes next, it doesn't matter. We, for our business it would still work, you know, we'd still be able to produce the content, we'd still be able to um, come up with creative concepts that work, and yeah, and all we do all we do is just look at the technical outputs and go, oh, that's what we have available at the time, mm. X, Y, Z, yeah. and ABC. And I think something like, it's interesting you brought up Portrait, so I think I'm actually a big fan of Portrait. I'm, I'm, we've kind of, um, we've took it by the reins a bit actually, and we've mm. gone with it because a lot of people respond to it. And when I say a lot of people, just some of the brands we've worked with, our setup very regularly is actually the Alexa in landscape and then the Sony A7S in portrait, so mm -hmm. on our rig. So we actually are filming in both. And generally speaking, we will just use the Alexa footage and we'll just crop it. And it's, we obviously still keep the resolution, but what we like about the portrait is you can split that portrait uh, into three parts, you can just use the rule of thirds and, and it works really well and so we'll have somebody talking and they'll take up two thirds while you also use the top third for a kind of a, a kind of background scene of what's happening or the audience or something yeah. and you can quite easily cut between things and you can use that space basically very similarly to if you were doing landscape. Um, thank you very much for this chat, it's been great. My pleasure. Anywhere. If 
father cries, your mother prays, you petition me to stay. I've already lost my faith, guitar's packed away. Forgive me for being so smart, but full stop's not a question mark. I'm going in the name of art, not to mention me. So say goodbye, say it properly, don't give me one more sign. Say goodbye, say it normally, just don't have your time. Say goodbye, say it properly, don't give me one more sign. Say goodbye, say it anyway, just don't have the time. It's all the same, it's a game. So that was the show that was. Thanks to my guests, Alex, Matthew and Eric. And thank you also for the musicians today who were the extraordinary Mick, Ollie Sloan and yours truly. Have a fantastic day and night. Uh, rest of whatever time you've got in this glorious time we're in. And I will see you again next time. Take care. Bye. <laughs>